Politics Uncensored with Ali Milani on Fubar Radio. Hello, everybody. Sorry about that. Uh, welcome back. This is Ali Milani back on Politics Uncensored. How you all have missed me, I am back um, with a new year and a, uh, I would like to say a vibrancy, but I am currently dying live on air for all of you. Um, I have allergies of some sort. I did a COVID test, not COVID. Uh, but I'm dying of some sort of allergies, so please, please forgive me uh, if I if you hear this me sniffling or dying live on air throughout this show. Um, we've got an amazing show uh, lined up uh, in our uh, first episode of 2024, and joining us we've got journalist uh, Ari Bolla from the Middle East Eye and um, Reem Ibrahim from the Institute of Economic Affairs. And what we're going to do later on is look ahead a little bit into 2024 uh, and what sort of political predictions we can expect um, as this is the first show of the year. And we're all going to sort of nail our our ideas to the mast and see how right we are by the end of the year in our political predictions. But before we get to that, uh, we have the week unwrapped. Um, and this, this is the part of the show where we talk about the... <laughs> Issues of the day, some of the, the, the key stories in political and current affairs. And joining us for this is Natalie Balmain, winner of Channel 4's Make Me a Prime Minister, uh, who has joined us a number of times previously. And it's a pleasure to have you, Natalie. How are you keeping? I'm good. How are you, Ali? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Look, I, look I, Natalie, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm dying. <laughs> and uh, I don't want to exaggerate or be that guy with man flu, but I'm not sure I'm going to make it to 6 p.m. So if this is the last time we speak, um, it's been an absolute I, pleasure. I, I will make sure people remember you, Ali. <laughs> Thank That's you very problem. much. Listen, are we going to talk about... New Year's resolutions? New Year's resolutions, not die. Uh, survive the show. Um, <laughs> and um, not get not get deported to Rwanda would be a, would be a well, great show. Yeah, let's hope not. So, Natalie, before we talk about some of these issues, I'm going to ask you to do something for me. Um, we're gonna, we'll, okay. go th- we'll go to a break halfway, halfway through this week's Unwrapped. And I want you to just think about one or two political predictions that you might have for 2024 because we're going to look back on these at the end of the year and see how right we've all been but before we get to that the key issue of the day and really this week has been Rwanda Uh, the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has urged the House of Lords to pass his flagship Rwanda policy as he warned peers not to frustrate the will of the people giving a press conference after the legislation was approved by MPs Mr Sunak said it was now up to the Lords to do the right thing he's he's seen off uh, a sort of mini Tory rebellion um and now uh it has gone to the house of lords i don't know if we've spoken about rwanda together before natalie but give me your thoughts about a this policy now going to the house of lords b what looks to me like rishi sunak essentially going all in as his mate as his political sort of gambit for the election being take back control of our borders and rwanda it's absolutely hilarious isn't it that this is his sort of flagship policy that he wants to enter the election on because from what i can tell you know even the people who for this might be a priority they're certainly not he's not going to win an election on those numbers and for the rest of us we're all sat here going frankly we're just sick and tired of you wasting any more money on this um the fact that you're trying to push this through again which doesn't just take away from the fact that by the way this is still considered an unsafe country by the supreme court that ruling has not gone away um, you know, the fact that they're trying to push this through uh, already at a cost of over 240 million so far, which, um, you know, when you compare that to other funding pots, I know Jess Phillips yesterday very interestingly compared it to the pot of money that was put aside for support uh, survivors of child and sexual abuse, which was a total of 4.5 million. You kind of go, what, what is your priority here? 
you know, there's a suggestion that this is going to cost close to £170,000 per person to deport them to. Does anyone in this country want... Is it that much of a priority for anybody? Well, I, I think know. it's a priority electorally for the Tories. I think, from what the I Tories, can see, yeah, I'm not so sure about the voters. From what I can see, it's the only thing that they have really that they can point to as um, something they want to do or will do. And I'm, you know, my gut tells me there's some sort of internal polling that tells them that if we run a really crude, sort of divide and rule, anti-migration, close the borders, sort of right-wing campaign we might stop the bleeding for the election. Do you think that's all that it, all that it is? Or, you know, are they just I, a bunch I mean, of racists? Sure I'm sure that's what they believe. Um, whether that belief is founded in, in any sanity at all, um, I'm not sure. You know, to, to go back to the 240 million that they've already spent on this, that, that's already not worked twice, you know, that's equivalent to 5.7 million GP appointments. What do we think is more important to the... the yeah, no, uh, of course, the, 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 the leader of Rwanda has also said they'd be willing to refund the money right give the money back if no if no planes actually take off so well i hope i hope that is the case actually in in all honesty because i think but they might have just i mean they might have given the tories an exit ramp out of this horrific policy and they won't take it purely based on their own personal (laughs) electoral goals no which which would pretty much tell you everything about them does it not it does, and let's talk about those those opinion polls and the Tory, um, yeah, the, the, what looks like complete wipeout for the Tories if a new damning opinion poll is to be believed, which is predicting that the Tories are on track for a 1997-style general election wipeout. The research, which was commissioned by Tory donors working with Archbrexiter David Frost, suggests that Conservatives are facing a humiliating defeat with several senior MPs that are set to lose their seats. The YouGov survey of 14,000 people suggests the Tories could retain as few as 169 seats, while Labour would sweep into power with 385, giving Sir Keir Starmer a massive 120-seat majority. Do you believe this poll? Um, absolutely. I, th- I don't think it takes a. G- I don't think they they needed a poll, did they? I think they could have just gone around and, and done a vox pop in the street. <laughs> it, the thing is, I think if they went out onto the streets, they'd have things thrown at them. That's the problem. Well, this is true. You know, it's it's incredible, isn't it? You know, every time the Tories come to Manchester, I live in Manchester. Every time they come up here for their party conference, you know, the Mancunians are chasing them down the street. And, <laughs> I saw another video of of Rishi getting booed in the street. Look, I I want to talk about this, but I'm I'm a little bit skeptical, and I'll tell you why. Um, The I'm 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 skeptical not because I don't think this is where the country is. I do think this is where the country is, and I think the country desperately, you know, wants to get rid of the Conservative Party. And I I really don't think there is anything they could do at this stage to to overturn because generally what people will look at, and I think in in some ways Biden has this problem in America. Generally, people will look at, am I better off or worse off? since the since these lot were given the reins of power and it's undeniable that people are worse worse off now than they were uh 14 years ago um and so i think you know they're toast in that sense what makes me skeptical is we've had some electoral reform we've had some boundary changes obviously uh around the country which has reduced the number of mps uh particularly uh, in the nations and has increased them in, in England and, and, and what we're looking at is a boundary review that, that largely benefits the Conservatives and I say that because yeah. if if the same votes were to happen in 2019 under the new boundaries, the Tories would have had an extra, I think, 15 to 20 MPs and Labour would need a swing of about 13 to 14% their way just to get a small majority let alone a big majority and this is the problem, I mean, we could have a whole conversation about the problem with oh. our uh, you know, first past the post system. But yeah. 
I mean, a 13 to 14% swing Labour's way, I think it's actually 12.9 officially, to get a majority of one. That is a huge swing. It's larger than 1997 was. And in 1997, bear in mind, the opinion polls had Labour on the 50% leading up to the election. So do you think we need to take this with a little bit of a grain of salt? Because we, I've, got into far, maybe that, I've got into far too many elections thinking we're going to win and then disappointed afterwards. Yeah, I mean, yeah, obviously it, it does sting when you, you understand some of these things that are going on. But I, I do believe that voters, and especially young voters, are as switched on as they've ever been. And, you know, the amount... Do you think of, they'll come of, out and vote? I do. And the amount that I'm hearing young people talking about tactical voting, it's actually incredible. And I I, I do think that perhaps maybe, you know, for all the, the changes that they, the Tories want to try and make and, and save themselves, they may have underestimated young voters somewhat. So that could really be the blowback at the general election is that people are voting who wouldn't have otherwise voted because they are just so angry at where we are in yeah. the country. Okay, uh, and I wonder if one of your political predictions could be what, what you think that general election would look like. Uh, but before we go <laughs> to that break, uh, when you can come up with what your one or two is, okay. um, let's look at what has been a really, really painful, I think, story uh, around the post office scandal. Uh, the UK business minister, Kemi Badenoch, has written to Fujitsu to demand talks on how much it would pay towards compensating post office horizon victims after the scandal wiped out more than £1 billion off its value. The share slumped following testimony from one of its senior executives on Tuesday, who told MPs the Japanese technology company had a moral obligation to contribute to any redress for the hundreds of post office operators who were wrongfully prosecuted on the basis of its faulty IT systems. For those who aren't aware of the story, really do go look into it. ITV has done a brilliant dramatization of this scandal. And this was where post office operators around the country were prosecuted um, on, on the idea that they had stolen money. And it all turned out to be a faulty IT system. Some of them served jail time. Many of their lives were ruined. Their reputations were ruined. And it's one of the, the most shocking scandals, I think, coming out of this country in decades. Natalie, what do you make of what this whole scandal we've seen unfold over the last couple of weeks? I mean, there's an interesting uh, thing that I want to pick up on, on the quote from, I think it's from Kemi or from the government there, which is that they say that, they, that Fujitsu have a moral obligation. Stuff the moral obligation for one second. They've got a legal obligation, have they not? They, they provided a product that was not fit for purpose. Now, you know, under the Consumer Rights Act of 2015, or, you know, for things that were purchased before October 2015, the Sale of Goods Act of 1979, the law states that, any goods you buy must be of satisfactory quality, fit for any particular purpose made known to the seller, and as described. I mean, I'd argue that the Horizon system was none of those things. Natalie coming in with the receipts, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Why are they not just being hauled up in court? Why are we demanding talks with them? No talks are required. You've broken your contract. Yeah, it's well, I think it, it seems to be that everybody is sort of trying to to dodge some level of, of responsibility here. No accountability once again. And I, look, the, I mean, this story hit, our, hit the airways not a, a little while ago, but it really took, I think, the dramatization of ITV to, to bring this to fore um, and to explain to people exactly, exactly the level of, of scandal and tragedy that has gone on here. Um, I mean, after the admission of Fujitsu, Bandak wrote to Fujitsu, um, Group Chief Executive Takahito Tokita demanding urgent discussions on the proportion of the compensation the firm would have to pay, according to a report by Sky News, uh, which has seen part of the letter. 
you know, Fujitsu is one thing, but how much responsibility should government take for redressing this 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 because people's lives were ruined there has to be an inquiry and I'll, i'll tell you the reason why there has to be an inquiry because at the time that fujitsu were in the procurement process with the uk government um they were also in a similar procurement process with the department of defense now the department of defense rejected the horizon system Oh, I, 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 I didn't Perhaps because they discovered that it wasn't fit for purpose. And there's arguments to say that that information was passed on to the government here or certain advisors here as well. And they decided to go ahead with it. So absolutely, there needs to be some accountability here. Yeah, and I think uh, Ed Davey specifically is picking up quite a lot of heat um, as a result um, of... I mean, of... you know, it's very easy. We've got a Tory government at the yeah. moment. Blame, you know, the one Lib Dem yeah. guy who was involved in it. There have been 12 or more... Um, Tory people in this post since then who've also done absolutely nothing. Yeah. So let's not forget those as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm always <laughs> I'm always up for that. Uh, so listen, the, the the theme of the show. Um, I love that you've come with receipts today. By the way, the, the the theme of the show today is going to be predictions. This is the first episode that we're airing post 2024, and I want you to have a quick think over the next break about one or two political predictions that Natalie will make that I'm going to hold you to and bring you back at the end of the year and see how... By the way, I'm also going to do that this later on with guests. Okay. So let's see how we all do. Uh, but think about one or two and maybe a wild one um, while we listen to these messages. FUBAR Radio presents... All areas. And we are joined now by our lovely guest, James Johnson, celebrity hairdresser. How are you, James? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. What was Mel B like then? I, I oh, used the to best. be a spice boy. The best energy. Did you sing to her? I no, to... I can't sing. I'm nor can I, but I still I remember don't. the job got cancelled. I went to wherever she was staying in London, it got cancelled. And whoever she was living with made us Victoria sponge cake. So the job got cancelled, we all sat around the table eating cake. I got in the car <laughs> and, and, and I was like, I've just sat with a sparse girl eating Victoria sponge. Oh, noshing a bit of Vicky Sponge. Nick Helm and the Daniel Metcalf's fan club. We are joined in the studio now by professional comedian Brett Goldstein. (laughs) (laughs) How are you doing, Brett? Uh, I'm very grateful to be here with you two. If you could dig someone up and fuck them. Gene Kelly. Gene Kelly and Cary Grant, right? Not Cary, he's not my (laughs) son. If I could dig up Gene Kelly, I'd say, could we do it, Dives? I've got the shovel in my boot. In this scenario, is he still dead when you dig him up, or does he come out? Does he come to life? Is he a rotten corpse, or is he... That's my club. (laughs) Dating or going on dates when you were, like, a teenager was always quite fun, though. Do you know what I mean? I remember going on dates to, like, the cinema, you'd go shopping, like, shopping centres, wouldn't you? I think, if anything, they were... Maybe maybe this just says about life and where it is, but I used to get really excited, like, more excited than I do now. Like, the thought of going to meet someone in a park, a boy, it was like, oh, my fucking God, what trainers am I going to wear? Are my trainers clean? Am I going to plait my hair? It was like... It, the thought that would go through my head just to meet one person, whereas now... You know, you might meet someone on the way home from work and it's like the, the effort, you're still making an effort, but it's like, yeah, I can fit you in. It is it's completely different. You're listening to Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Foobar Radio. Welcome back. This is Ali Milani on our first edition of Politics Uncensored here on Fubar Radio in 2024. I really hope everybody's had 
uh, a good uh, Christmas, New Year, holiday break um, over the last couple of weeks, although most of us have been back to work, I think, for uh, at least a little while now. I've got Natalie Balmain here with me, winner of Channel 4's Make Me a Prime Minister. We've just gone through this week's Unwrapped, and the theme of the show today is we're going to be looking at some political predictions going into 2024. And I've put Natalie on the spot over the break and asked her to come up uh, with a few. Natalie, let's go with the first one. What's, what's your first political prediction of 2024? Okay, so I already mentioned this briefly before, but I think similar to um, when Biden won in his his first election in America, we're going to see record numbers of people coming out to vote in the general election this year and record numbers of young people. I absolutely believe that. I look forward to it. I hope I'm right. So we're going to see a huge, a huge bump, you think, particularly in young people. And do you think there's one or two specific? I mean, is it the cost of living crisis? What's what's behind your thinking around this? Um, I actually don't think the cost of living crisis is the biggest driver for the young people. They've lived in this for their whole lives. You know, they're they're quite sturdy when it comes to the cost of living crisis. What I think it is, is um, it, it's a moral obligation. I think that our young people are aware that our government are making decisions without, our, our, you know, even taking them to Parliament, for example, you know, to seek approval from Parliament, let alone from anybody else. They're elevating themselves above the law. And I I think that young people can see the way that this is going for them and for their future. It's heading towards totalitarianism and they don't like it. You know what I think is amazing? I think it's, you know, it's easy for us to forget, but there are 18-year-olds who have the right to vote in this coming election that will have only really known a Conservative government Uh, because they will have been four, I think, or something when, when, when the election happened and the Tories came in. So there's a whole generation of people that are going to be voting this time who have only ever known Conservative governments. Do you think that might... and, they, and they have hope, and that's the beauty of young people. They still have hope. They're not, they've not been driven cynical by decades and decades in the system. So, you know, I, I'd love to see it. And do you, okay, I'm gonna, I don't know if this is part of your predictions. What, what, what result do you think we're going to get at that general election, looking at it now? Obviously, we're still I mean, far away. A campaign hasn't happened, but... I, I believe Labour are going to storm it, just because I, I think that for the most people, they're the realistic other option i do think we're going to see huge huge increases for the green party i think young people are going to vote for the green party i'd love to see that for them i think they're going to do really well um the the one thing that i don't think anyone is going to challenge me on is that it's going to be a very very sorry day for the conservatives do you think rishi will still be the candidate for prime minister i think so because i think they're aware now after everything that happened during 2022 they couldn't surely go for another one could they i mean a poll did come out today that showed that the tories are at their lowest place since uh, Liz Trust was ousted from office. I think the twenty-seven. I, I do hear that letters have been going into yeah. the nineteen twenty-two committee about Rishi too. So you know they're back at the old game. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, twenty-seven I, points behind Labour is what you got to say. It's yeah. I just I just think that they they haven't got it in them to run another leadership race before a general election, and I, I don't think they'd risk it. Right. And uh, do you have any other words? Do you have another political prediction? Yeah. Um. So I'd like to talk for a second about um South Africa's case against israel of course that's the um, yes that's the case in the international court of justice uh, that, that that south africa has taken on israel following the assault on gaza i think that perhaps this is going to escalate and snowball the case itself not just the the horrific situation in gaza and palestine um i think that perhaps other countries might get on board with south africa's case and i think that the case might extend to the people who are essentially funding Israel, which could potentially be, well, it will be the US and potentially us included. Yeah, I think it's important for people to note the the implication that this could have. We're obviously signatories to the International Court of Justice and um, 
the permanent sec the permanent members of the UN um, each get a judge or so on the on on it. And as you said, other countries are are joining in. So Slovenia have said that they're going to be joining in on the um, that they may potentially look at joining the, the the case. So you think this could have a snowballing effect? Uh, what 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 sort of impact do you think it could have here here in the UK? Well, I mean, essentially, we could find that our current government will be, <laughs> you know, hauled up in court because um, they're breaching, they are supporting, funding and enabling um, a, a huge breach of international law. And, and uh, you know, that we are helping to facilitate war crimes, not least the very visible dropping of white phosphorus, which is completely illegal in any scenario anywhere in the world in, in any situation. So... Yeah, and I think we're going to be covering that uh, a little bit later on as well. Uh, as I think we've now got uh, over twenty five thousand uh, Palestinians killed in, in Gaza. Most of Gaza has been um, has been devastated, and uh, I think eighty five percent of the population in Gaza have been displaced, and one in a hundred people have been killed since the beginning uh, of the what assault the on will Gaza. Look at there as well as the tactics used, yeah. not, not just the numbers. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and when you look at it in in terms of the tactics, in terms of the, yeah. the places that they've bombed, um, making escape routes available and then bombing those. Yeah, it, and then also the quotes from senior Israeli officials as well, who the, it's, you it's know, a really, some of the it's a really really strong case yeah. against. Right. Israel, the well, the, 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 those are two uh, very, very interesting predictions. I'm really interested, particularly uh, in the outcome of this ICJ case, as well as whether we are going to get record numbers uh, of voters in the next general election. Natalie, so thank you so much for joining us. Tell, tell people where they can find you, what you're up to. Um, oh, gosh, I am up to all sorts, as usual. I'm still out here doing a lot of work in the field of diabetes fundraising and awareness. But you can catch me and my journeys on Twitter at Real Miss Balmain or on Instagram at Miss Balmain. There we go. Do give her a follow. She she holds. She'll continue to hold all these receipts and and come for the <laughs> oh, Tories in the lead up to the general election. I'm sure we'll have you back on um, Natalie. That was Natalie Balmain, winner of Channel 4's Make Me a Prime Minister, joining us on this week's uh, Unwrapped. Uh, next, we're going to be going full fledged into political predictions. Uh, I'm probably talking a little bit. Continuing to talk a little bit about Rwanda and this case in the ICJ. Um, and I will be joined by Reem Ibrahim from the Institute of Economic Affairs and Areeb Ullah, journalist at the Middle East Eye. They will both be joining me for the duration of the show after this. Hey! Fubar Radio presents Access All Areas. Mark from Married at First Sight UK. See, at the wedding, you told Sean you were 26, but you're actually 36. So drop in that decade. We ain't gone one or two years either side. What was going for you, Ed, when you thought, I'm going to shave off 10 years. A third of your life. (laughs) It was instant reaction. As soon as anyone says to me, how old are you? I'm like 26. I just stopped counting after 26. Would I have told him? Probably not. Ever? Well, maybe when we're 80 years old and we've got the grandkids running rounds. Except like, you wouldn't be 80 years old. You'd be, you'd be 90. Yeah, you'd be 90. I'd be 26 still. <laughs> I'd be going around the corner for some more injections. Politics Uncensored. Joining me now, the former leader of the Labour Party, Jeremy Corbyn, MP. And there you are stood with hundreds of thousands of people at Glastonbury singing out Jeremy Corbyn. What is that like? It was quite extraordinary. It was an amazing experience and I was very pleased we did it. Um, we wrote the office, we got very excited about Glastonbury. Every single person in the office thought it was necessary for them to be at Glastonbury. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they did. <laughs> yeah. Every single one said yeah. it's really necessary yeah. for them to yeah. come. The dating show. I'm friends with uh, a fair few exes and, and I think you can be friends with an ex, but yeah, I, I genuinely do. But I do think that he's Timing is everything with that. 
It, I think it depends what you cast as a friend. Yeah, Are you I talking mean, about, you know, someone you're going to hang out with on your sofa? Like, if you've already shagged, you know, isn't that a bit weird? Or is no, it I think weird? that's a different level of friend. I think that's a different level of friend. You can be friends with someone. You can't be, like, best fucking friends with someone. I mean, I've got exes that I talk to about their current partners and, and whatever else, and they'll tell me about that sort of stuff. But I wouldn't say, oh, do you want to come over for fucking Chinese and chill on the sofa? You're listening to Food Bar Radio. 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 Welcome back. This is Ali Milani on the first episode uh, in 2024 of Politics uh, Uncensored. We've just been speaking to Natalie Balmain, the winner of Channel 4's Make Me a Prime Minister, around some of the key issues um, facing uh, the country and some of the key headlines coming out of our politics. We spoke about Rwanda. We've uh, spoken about the ICJ case that, that, that South, um, the South Africa has brought against Israel. We've spoken about post office and many other things. First of all, it's remarkable. It's 25 minutes past and I'm alive and I'm still here, which, which uh, it really is amazing given how ill um, I feel. Uh, both my wife and my sister today told me I'm exaggerating, but I think the producers can 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 attest to the fact that I'm one foot in the grave right now. But we continue, and I'm very excited to be joined by my next set of guests uh, as we look ahead into the politics of 2024. Uh, joining us in the studio is Arib Ullah, journalist at the Middle East. I, Arib, thank you so much for joining us. And Reem Ibrahim from the Institute of Economic Affairs. Reem, if I can first come to you, how are you keeping? I love this setup. It's so professional. You look better than I do in that hate and in this in this. <laughs> HD setup. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we've we've just renovated our studio at the IEA, so it's it's Love great it. to have new cameras, new mics. Looks brilliant. Looks brilliant. And uh, I've been I've been following uh, some of your travels uh, on on socials as well. So you have to tell me about that. Probably off air though. Arif, how are you keeping? <laughs> I'm alright. Yeah. Blisteringly cold, but here I am. You're, say that again. You're it's blisteringly cold. It is very cold. It is very cold. You obviously have been keeping uh, up, particularly uh, with what's going on um, in Gaza and some of the tragic scenes that we're seeing. Yeah. Um, we're now a hundred days deep into this uh, assault. Yeah. Do you want to give people? A, I mean, we just spoke with Natalie about the ICJ case. Um, yeah. South Africa has brought up. Where are we at in 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 terms of an overview of a hundred days after the initial assault in Gaza? Where are we at now? I mean. I could sum it up in two words, death and destruction, pure and simple. I think um, um, when, when I last saw the civilian death toll, it's beyond uh, 24,000 uh, Palestinians who've been killed in Gaza by Israeli forces. Um, uh, it's just, I mean, it's very difficult to kind of tell. I mean, in, in terms of my personal situation, in terms of what the work that we're doing at Middle East Eye, um, we're worried about our colleagues who are stranded in Gaza. Um, we're worried whether or not they're going to be alive tomorrow we're worried about whether or not they're going to have enough internet to keep reporting the really important story that's taking place there um and um i, I think i think one sense i get from my colleagues in gaza especially is um the sense of hopelessness you know yeah. the sense of um should we keep on doing this you know yeah um and when i speak to my colleagues like maha um um, for example, I mean, the simple answer I give is, listen, if you need to flee with your family, go, you know, because um, it, it really is a situation of life and death yeah. at the minute for, for them can, in Gaza. Can I just ask you quickly, sorry, uh, the, the reports that we're getting is now one in 100 people in Gaza have been yeah. killed. 85% of people have been displaced. Yeah. And the images that we're getting is just horror. Mm. I don't think we've ever seen anything like this, at least in our lifetimes. Mm. But it's not just Gaza. 
uh, where the issues have, have come out. I want to talk a little bit about the West Bank as well, sure. if, if we can. I mean, the reports I've got here is 360 Palestinians have been killed in the West Bank yeah. um, in the last 100 days. Yeah. Um, over 6,000 people have been arrested. and The UN numbers are, are horrific. I've got a story here uh, from someone called Ahed Emir who said that two days ago, Israeli regimes forces invaded a Palestinian town in the West Bank to take down South African flags that had yeah. been put up by residents. Ahed went up to a rooftop to see what was going on there. She was shot and killed by an Israeli sniper as she was trying to look at what was happening. So, I mean, a lot of the focus has rightly been on what's going on in death and yeah. destruction in Gaza. And often the response I mean, you get what, from Israeli what, what, spokespeople... What we're, see- what we're seeing in the West Bank, especially, we're seeing a massive political crackdown on um, Palestinians who live there. Um, and, I mean, the justification that the Israeli government have given, for example, it's a campaign, it's military campaign in Gaza is it's trying to eradicate Hamas. Now, the fact of the matter is the presence of Hamas isn't as strong, if not existent within within the West Bank, you know. I mean, almost completely non-existent uh, in the West to, Bank, to, right? to a certain degree, I mean, there's no denying that Hamas does exist in um, in the West Bank, but at the same time, it's not to the level that it is in Gaza. Yeah. So the kind well, of that's, that's, the, that's the justification the, that they're giving. Yeah, and that's why I wanted to bring up the West Bank, because what I've seen in terms of Israeli spokespeople around the British media specifically has yeah. been, whenever we talk about it, whether it's bombing of schools or hospitals or anything, it's always Hamas is under there somehow or Hamas mm. is involved in human shields and yeah. Hamas, yeah. Hamas, Hamas. The problem is... You can't use that same argument with 360 no. people killed in, in the West the Bank, thing, the thing sniping is, people I mean, on rooftops. As much as one thing I think it's important to note is that the political climate in the West Bank has been deteriorating pre-October 7th. And by that, I mean, we've seen um, my colleagues, for example, Lubna Masaru, who's the bureau chief there. She's reporting to us weekly attacks of settlers attacking Palestinian villagers, for example, who are tending to their farms. Yeah. With immunity uh, from the... With, from with the immunity, with protection at some yeah. times as well by the Israeli forces, you know. So I think the situation in the West Bank has been often overlooked for uh, a long time. And now what's happening in Gaza is sadly now shedding light to what's happening in uh, the West Bank. Yeah. And what we're also seeing is that the settler community in um, the West Bank are becoming more emboldened. And, um, and that's leading to the deaths of Palestinians, sadly, in the West Bank. Yeah, Reem, I'm going to bring you in, but not on Gaza because we've 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 spoken about Gaza and ICJ a lot today. But we've also spoken about Ro- the Rwanda policy, and I know you've been you've spoken a lot, specifically on social media, uh, surrounding the Rwanda policy. We've uh, we've now got the Prime Minister who has uh, today urged the House of Lords to pass the flagship Rwanda policy. Uh, he's asked peers not to frustrate the will of the people. Can you give us your sense and your sort of view on this policy and where we might go in the next couple of weeks? Yeah, I mean, it's been really interesting to see the way in which it's been used somewhat like a political football. I think that especially post Suella Bravman's uh, resignation as Home Secretary, and we've seen the, the huge amounts of political turmoil around the Rwanda policy. Let's be clear here. I mean, for the Conservative government, all they need is a photograph of uh, one or two um, illegal migrants on a plane, and that's the political capital for them that they need. So it's not even, I don't think, necessarily about whether or not they're actually able to get thousands of illegal migrants onto planes in Rwanda, on their way to Rwanda. What they actually want is the sort of political capital that it gives them. We also need to think about the, the huge cost of the Rwanda policy. 
it's already costed about 240 million pounds and that's taxpayer money that's going towards this uh, this scheme that actually hasn't let, let any uh, any legal migrants actually go to Rwanda yet there's obviously of course the ethical arguments around it and you know there are a couple amendments that were uh, voted on last night as well there was a general amendment which effectively was there to try and make the Rwanda bill as watertight as possible it basically meant that people would it would be more difficult for people to try and appeal uh, being shipped off to Rwanda and I think it's within the broader conversation about what do we do about illegal immigration it is incredibly high um, but is, is is the solution safe legal route so that economic migrants can more easily come to this country is it the demonization of illegal migrants and is that the key problem here or is it really a vote winner is this all about that, the conservative yeah. government trying to win that's win what vote? I want to ask you about because that's what me and Natalie were speaking about because I don't you know I think anybody can say that the policy so far hasn't been successful we spent 240 million pounds taxpayer money not a single plane has taken off not a single migrant has landed in uh, in rwanda is this just an election gambit i so i personally do think that it is but again this is more so about the way in which the policy hasn't it hasn't been effective rishi sunak and the, and the government uh, overall has been able to shift blame elsewhere we saw today the the prime minister with his quite bizarre press conference i don't know if any of you uh, saw the sort of things that he was saying but he effectively said the house of lords better not block yeah. this or the house of lords you know what i noticed in that press conference i noticed i think the term take back control of our borders and i suspect that that's going to be the election tagline that the tories are going to run with do you so let's let's assume i mean it's part of my predictions when we go into our predictions in a second let's say a plane does take off or a couple of planes do take off and they're able do you think it will work at all in shifting what is i mean you is suggesting 27 point difference between tories and labor do you think it'll shift public opinion at all I think it really depends on what happens with the economy. I think that I think that's the primary, the, the the most important issue in this country for many many people. The cost of living crisis, I mean, as we all know, has been incredibly difficult, and inflation yeah. has been soaring. We've seen it come down very recently. My colleague Julian Jessup has done some fantastic analysis on on the inflation figures, and actually said that you know that now is really the time for the government to start looking at supply side reforms. But when it comes to immigration, it's itself that i think the conservative government seem to think that it is the number one issue for most people that the primary reason why immigration is used as a scapegoat is because people feel poorer and immigrants are very easy and especially illegal migrants are very easy to push the blame to but we know i mean that the, the evidence is clear migrants in this country uh, pr actually provide the treasury with significantly more money than native yeah. brits do so it's also it's, I, I suspect it. it'll be hard for the tories and I, it, it might sound like a party political attack it's not really i suspect it's, it's going to be really hard for the tories to stand on the economy come the next general election i mean things might shift by november which is when we think we're going to get it but i'm not sure any tory would want to stand on look at what we've done with the economy at the general election Absolutely. I mean, it, it really is kind of a farce, right? The Conservative Party is supposed to be the party of the economy. Yeah. And yet we have the highest tax burden since the Second World War. We've seen soaring inflation. We've seen huge amounts of red tape and regulation that have meant that, for example, we've not been able to build enough homes. There have been multiple government targets. Let, let, let's think back to Rishi Sunak's five promises, one of which, again, was NHS reform, stop the small boats, cutting inflation, and, and all of those things those predictions inflation potentially has come down but again it wasn't necessarily well it's shifted back up again i think it's now at four percent after a period of rapid decline but that's really interesting i want to go now 
to our political predictions and that's the sort of theme of the show and um, i've got people from different perspectives uh here hopefully um and we're going to be looking forward at 2024 and then maybe making uh, fools out of ourselves come the end of the year given our predictions but but that's more likely to be me than anyone else so that's okay uh i've asked each of our guests to prepare a bunch of political predictions for 2024 and what we might see uh reem given that you've just been on do you want to give our for your first political prediction to of 2024 yeah, so my first prediction is that at the March budget, we are going to see a whole load of tax cuts. I, th I suspect we're going to see something particularly similar to um, what the Liz Truss administration attempted to do, which is primarily supply-side tax cuts, supply-side reforms. Specifically, I think that inheritance tax is going to be scrapped. The, re the reason why I think that's... Scrapped in its entirety. Yes, I, I think I think inheritance tax could be scrapped entirely. And the reason why I think that is because it doesn't raise the Treasury a lot of money. So it actually isn't that important to, to the Exchequer. But what it does do is it gives the, again, it has this political capital. It has this gravitas of a conservative government that is here to slash taxes and you know encourage families to grow and encourage investment. Again, I'm, I mean, you know how much I love tax cuts. I actually don't think inheritance tax is the priority. It's not necessarily yeah. going to, Help I do know how much you love tax cuts, by the way. We once sat in a green room and within three seconds of meeting each other, you were talking about tax cuts. So <laughs> that was, that was a I know it keeps thing. you up at night. <laughs> it does. I am a bit of a nerd for tax cuts. But do you, do you, so I'm, I'm going to ask about the politics of this because obviously the tax cuts that, um, that, that List Trusts brought in was largely seen as the reason behind her downfall and the economic crash. Do you not think there'll be some jitters within number 10 about whether that strategy will work again? Yeah, so I think the primary problem, and again, I mean, even looking back at the Conservative Party leadership election, it feels like ages ago, but it was only a year and a half ago, or two years ago, with the leadership election. Those are two very, we were, we were presented with two very different definitions of what conservatism means. So I think the Conservative Party itself is sort of going through a bit of an identity crisis. Oh, definitely, yeah doesn't really know what it stands for yeah. you had liz truss who effectively argued for small government and some supply side reforms but then again when she i mean that the primary reason i think for her downfall was that actually um at the same time as promising all of these tax cuts they, they were unfunded and then she yeah. also promised huge amounts of spending for the energy price uh, look I, I by the way i think you're spot on in terms of the identity crisis of the conservatives and no matter what you think of keir starmer i don't think there is as much confusion in the labor party yeah. that he has taken complete control of the labor party whereas in the conservative party you know you've got the sort of right wing uh you know the kemi badenox of this world the swella braverman's of this world and uh equally you've got david cameron and the sort of more one nation conservatives if you believe that term coming in you've got libertarians you've got all sorts of different uh, factions battling it out within uh, within the Tories, that'll be interesting ahead of the general election. Arib, I'm going to come to you. By the way, feel free to jump in here. Arib, your first political prediction. It's going to be a weird one, but I think more primary schools are going to close down in London. In London? Tell and, us why. And by that, I mean, in the last year, we've seen primary schools close down in Camden, in Hackney, in various inner-city um, London areas, um, because, simply put, people can't afford to live in the city of London anymore and uh, oh you think numbers are going down in terms of the need in, in, a, in yeah, London yeah, yeah. because and, people are moving and, and also because I think um, people are thinking twice about whether or not they want to raise a child in, yeah. uh, to have kids at, at all I mean we've, we yeah. do have an aging population in the UK um, but also I think when it comes to cost of living and everything else people are second guessing themselves and thinking yeah. twice about the idea of even um, going down that route yeah you know um, are you ditching London 
I might potentially. Do. Potentially. Yeah. And it's very hard to say that because I've lived in London my whole life. Yeah. I mean, look, we're all, let's call us all a bit young or young on the youngish side. Reem, you're definitely young. The two of us are the ones with the gray hairs. But, um, you know, uh, I assume you live in London. Have you thought twice about living in London, given the, the costs and the expense? I mean, I definitely have. Absolutely. I mean, I've I've considered moving abroad, where actually outside of the outside of the United Kingdom, you can get for what I, for what. I'll well, if someone looks at your Instagram, it certainly looks like you did move abroad over the last couple of months. <laughs> are you, are you uh, thinking the Middle East with no taxes are? I, well, not necessarily <laughs> the Middle East, because it's still quite expensive. But I mean, I I mean, I've just spent a month in Southeast Asia, and you, what I spend in oh, rent nice. in, in in London, I could get a, a yeah. pretty swanky mansion. So, but I think I it's do... really interesting that we've got three here people who are under the age of forty, relatively young in the economy, who who are working, who also don't think that London I, is I affordable. I you said not under the age of thirty. That's yeah, yeah we, oh, it was it was dangerous. I didn't want to ask people ages, but we were all we've all considered London yeah. almost unaffordable to live in, right? Yeah. yeah, I think it's, it's completely unaffordable, but I also think what's in, I mean, I'm assuming all of us have, have grown up in London, yeah. right? Mm. We've seen what it's like. And I mean, I I think that going, uh, so I grew up in Northwest London in Ricelip and Represent. it's, you know, go represent oh, yes, you did, you st- I, did. I campaigned against you. Yeah, you didn't vote for me. <laughs> Where's the, where, where can I mute this microphone? Which one of these numbers? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, you see, for, by the way, for all the critics, by the way, all the random comments I get under this show, by the way, I've got someone here who campaigned against me. That's how that's how open we are to different to, dif- to different views. Um, I'm going to go to my political prediction now and I want you guys to react to it. I think the general election will happen this year before December. Yeah, and I, I think Labour will get a majority. Yeah. But I think it will be a, a razor thin majority. I think it'll be less than 20. And I think I described that a little bit earlier. But look, the polling suggests, given the new boundaries, that Labour would need something like a 13 to 14 percent swing to get a majority of any kind Mm. and to get a huge majority we're talking about probably 15 percent swing that's much higher than they got in 1997 Mm. um and so my view is i think labor will win a majority at the next general election but i actually think it's going to be quite small what do you think I, i agree with that um i think one of my predictions was labor will win the next election but in tandem they'll also lose their vote within muslim communities here in the uk Talk to us a little bit about that, because um, obviously that's a huge issue given the positions that they've taken, some of the comments made around Gaza, specifically yeah, in Palestine. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there, there have been polls coming out. and I, I, know I, more I, I mean, out. yeah, I think, I think um, we're going to see a number of areas with Muslim majority um, considering less to vote for yeah. the Labour Party and purely on the basis of how they voted on a ceasefire vote. Yeah, I think, look, this, uh, it's important to say 4 million Muslims in the UK, yeah. but they're quite often highly concentrated in specific areas. So we're yeah. talking about uh, London, I mean, I East mean, and West, ter- Leicester, term- Birmingham, Bradford, yeah. these sort of areas. I mean, the reason why I'm saying this, in terms of some of the reporting that I've done in terms of the British Muslim community here in relation to Palestine, um, is that for a lot of Muslim voters that I've spoken to, they've said to me that they feel that Labour has neglected them. They feel that Labour has taken them for granted. And some would have even considered the Conservative Party, but when Rishi Sunak completely yeah. backed Israel um, over the last few months, for them it's like, yeah, no, yeah. I'm all right. Well, a recent Savanta poll did show that Labour have, have dropped um, into the 60s with Muslim voters. And let's bear in mind, in 2019, it was 83% of mm. Muslim voters supported Labour. Now it's in the 60s, and it's probably even lower because that poll was done before um, the ceasefire vote. Reema, I just want to get your views on Labour majority. What kind of numbers do you think, or do you think Labour might not win? No, I, I do think Labour will win. I think it all depends, and this is one of my political predictions, on whether or not Nigel Farage joins the Reform Party. There we, I, you know what? It's on one of mine. So let's go into that prediction. Tell me about that prediction. 
Yes, well, it, it kind of it, it relates back to to whether or not we get a Labour majority and how big it is, right? Because ultimately, what will happen is if Nigel Farage joins the Labour Party, uh, sorry, joins the Conservative, uh, joins the Reform Party, <laughs> they're all so similar. We don't know which one he's going to join. Well, they 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 all they are all the same to to a Libertarian. Um, but if 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 Nigel Farage does join uh, join Reform the Reform Party again, and he does get back into uh, Reform Party politics, and Reform do pick up more of those conservative votes then i do think that the you know the, the conservative party is completely finished and there will be a much larger labor majority if that's not the case and actually if the uh, if the if nigel farage doesn't join the reform party if reform don't do as well as they are predicted to do at the moment then i, I suspect that it will be a razor thin majority for the labor party but i do i mean i do think the Labour party will win um but we need a prediction here do you think nigel will join the, the reform party and stand against the tories or no I, I think he will. I think I, this is my prediction. I think Nigel Farage will join the Reform Party. I don't think he'd ever join the Conservative Party. I don't think the Conservative Party would have would have him. Um, but I, I mean, I do think there is a wider political realignment where the Conservative Party are pushing out people like me who <laughs> who pre predominantly uh, believe in a small state and I, I'm, I'm a libertarian across the board. And yeah, I mean, it's not it's no longer about tax cuts with the Tories, is it? It's just about no, planes to Rwanda. It's about for some the culture war. It's yeah. about the culture war, and it's about immigration and it's about trans people yeah. and it's no longer and you know it's no longer about um having a strong and stable economy i do also think though um just i just want to come back to the point that you made about muslim voters and uh, the labor party so my family are very devout muslim and they have you know they've sort of my dad's a bit of a swing voter my mum's side are all always voted labor um but this this issue has got them interested in politics like mm. no other issue has. Yeah. They've mm. always been very bored by any of my media appearances, very, very bored by politics itself and very apathetic, actually. Yeah. Mm. Israel-Palestine is the single issue that mobilises Arab and Muslim voters. And they're, they're, what, they're mad at Labour or everyone? Mad at everyone. Mad at the West, mad at, the West, mad at governments, mad at uh, Rishi Sunak. And that's going to carry Israel. through into the voting booth, you think? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't see any of my family members voting for either the Conservative Party or the Labour Party. They will vote for a party specific that issue. will call you, for a yeah. ceasefire. You know, on this point, I think, I mean, obviously the Muslim vote is very diverse. It's not as homogenous, not this one single block. But I mean, just, just talking in general terms, I do think when I speak to Muslim voters in Birmingham and Bradford, those places that you mentioned, who've been traditionally Labour, I think they have more spite towards what Keir Starmer has been saying the last few months than what Rishi Sunak has yeah, been saying. Yeah, because I think there's a different level of expectation. Exactly. And on top of that, like for for a lot of like uh, Muslim voters, they're also from a working class background. And for a lot of them, f historically, they viewed Labour being their home. Their hope, yeah. You know, politi now, political home. Yeah. Um, and now I think a lot of them are like, well, we've had Corbyn, who was the complete opposite of what Keir Starmer was doing. What's the point? Yeah, you yeah. Know? And uh, so, I mean, similar to Reem's family, right? You said your mum voted Labour, presumably in 2019. She voted Labour in Rice. Um, I have no idea what she <laughs> voted in 2019, but she, but she. I'm trying up. to get out that she, she voted for me, Reem. Come on, like, yeah, your mum. <laughs> Shout out, Mum Reem. I mean, <laughs> 
she would have probably i'm not sure how she voted to be honest probably but i'm sure Ali she would have like, yep. absolutely <laughs> loved some well especially because of your views on israel palestine i mean she would have definitely supported you over over boris johnson there we I go. Do, I do that gives me my ego boost for the week don't worry <laughs> <laughs> ego boost. i do think israel palestine is is a more especially the call for the ceasefire yeah. is like the predominant political yeah. issue i think one of the main things we were seeing i saw it in luton specifically was this idea of a vote for a vote don't vote mm. for the ceasefire you lose our votes right we're gonna go into my next prediction we're gonna have to be quick because <coughs> we are running out of time my next prediction was that i think that donald trump will beat joe biden i think they'll both be on the ballot and i think donald trump will beat joe biden at the next presidential election in november in america what do we think Arif, I'll come to you first. Well, he's not even the nominee yet, so we don't even know. It might be. It might be. Ah, he'll beat him from prison, even I think at this point. <laughs> I mean, the polls are saying that Trump is definitely up ahead of Biden, and yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if Biden remembers he's even there. Yeah. Well, look, I, I think one of the <laughs> that's funny. One of the one of the reasons that I think I I've put this as one of my predictions is, in all of the battleground states, uh, Biden is now trailing. Uh, Trump um, and I know it's it's we're quite a way away from the ge general election but it's not that far away um, and I think the difference is going to be I think you know Trump's base will vote for him and Biden's base will vote for him and I don't think that will change the, 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 the key question for American voters is these sort of independent voters in key states places like Pennsylvania places like Florida places like Ohio for example and I think they'll be looking and Reem, you've kind of spoken about this old, old Reagan thing of it's the economy, stupid. I think they'll be looking at whether they're better off now under Biden than they were the last day that Trump left office. And I think, you know, COVID aside, I think they'll be looking at the economy probably pre-COVID under Trump and thinking we might have been better off back then. Whether it's true or not, it's the feeling of the economy. I think people have forgotten about COVID. As horrible as it sounds, yeah. I think for, that, for a lot of people, it's a fever dream. It's like it's done now. But I think they'll be looking back on that period and going... You know, I don't think I'm better off under Biden. Reem, what do you think? Yeah, no, I completely agree. And we saw with the with the new primaries in New Hampshire and in Iowa, where effectively, I mean, looking at the the way in which the battle has gone down, I mean, very similar to the Conservative Party's uh, battle in the UK for ideology, there is an element of that. And the Republican Party is undergoing, I mean, Harley's a little bit more of a, I suppose, libertarian, a little bit more, uh, I mean, I think her economic plan, she called it the Freedom Plan. So again, advocating for tax cuts, primarily talking about the economy, and also saying that Trump is just like Biden. He is old, he is a member of the establishment. He is not somebody that we want to be representing us on the world stage. He focuses a lot on foreign policy, yeah. which I think will, will bode well you, with a lot of Republicans. You seem voters. to doubt whether he might be the nominee. Do you think he'll be the nominee come November? I do think he will be the nominee, but I, I don't think it's set in stone yet. It'll depend on whether or not he ends up in prison before yeah. the election. Yeah, and so if I was to, to ask you now, you know, I think, what is it, November 16th? When's the election? November 15th? I forget. Who's going to be the next president of the United States? Is Joe Biden going to be the next president? No, I would say, I, 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 would, I, would, I would suspect it would be Donald Trump. That is a prediction of mine. I do think Donald Trump will be the next president of the United States. I do also think there is a risk that, uh, that he could be in prison before then. But he could also govern from, from prison. From prison, funnily <laughs> enough. He can, yeah, he can win the presidency. Uh, Arib, I didn't ask you, who do you think is going to be the next president? Is that one of your predictions or no? No. Okay, so let's go into your next prediction. Stayed away from US politics. <laughs> Give us your next prediction, because um, I actually have a Middle Eastern one, which is obviously the field that you work in. So uh, I think Israel re will re reoccupy Gaza. What does it say here? Israel <laughs> reoccupies <laughs> Gaza. Yeah, so that was my prediction as well. I think 
uh, up until now it's been a siege and the military occupation over the last hundred days has been slightly de- separate but everything that we're hearing out of Gaza is that Israel will take full, full command of I, the I honestly draft. think before the ICG, ICJ case um, I think Israel's plan was initially to push the Palestinians to live in Gaza all the way to the Sinai um, even if the Egyptians wanted it or not but then when I think the ICJ case was starting to pick up some pace and you saw a lot of smaller countries joining in with South Africa as well over the last week or so um it's definitely been a pr disaster uh, for yeah. the israelis and and i think and when you say, when you mean reoccupied tell us what you mean because reoccupy in the sense that um i believe I similar to the west bank similar to the west bank whereby it will become the occupying power uh, feet on the ground soldiers in gaza potentially yeah yeah um okay. yeah uh, Reem, can I, we're running out of time, so I just want to get one more prediction from you. We've asked you all to do some wild card predictions, so that's what we're going to end on. But one more, let's call it normal prediction from you, and then we'll go to the wild cards. So, okay, I mean, I think it's particularly interesting is the way in which the UK have kind of focused around Brexit. And I so my regular political prediction is I think that we're going to try and foster new trade deals and actually make the most of Brexit. I mean, we've seen, I mean, I, I, I think that Brexit was a pretty positive thing. I think that taking control and being able to foster new trade deals rather than being forced to um, into trade deals within the European Union and being forced to, to be regulated in that way is, I think it was a pretty good thing that we left, but we have not. We've taken back control, but we've done bad things after taking back control. <laughs> maybe, so I think maybe we we didn't do very well with control. We give it back. <laughs> well, that is true. That is true. It's effectively like saying, okay, yes, fine. We've we've taken away control from a supranational institution, the European Union, but then we've then put yeah. that power back. Do you think that trade deal could be with the EU as well, or outside the EU? I, so I, I think I would like to see we've got a trade deal with the EU and I think that it's I think we'd like to see more more trade uh, with other countries outside of uh, Europe. I think an American trade deal could be on the cards if Trump is president. Yeah, of course, because Biden himself has kind of put that on the back burner. He himself has said that might not be possible. Um, I think he did that in his island trip. Um, so with with Trump winning, it's it's certainly probably more likely that we get it right. We're, we're approaching the last couple of minutes, so we're going to do the wild card ones. I'll go first. It's a wild card one. Okay, so let's let's not take me too seriously here. But I don't think it's outside the the possibilities. Um and I'll explain why. I think it's possible that Nigel Farage within 2024 joins the Conservative Party. And the reason I think that is I suspect if the election happens in let's say November and Labour win I think the Conservative Party will go through a period of a couple of weeks or months. Maybe it pushes into early 2025, but that the Conservative Party has this identity crisis and comes out with someone like Suella Braverman at the helm. It might not be Suella herself, but someone on that side of the faction. And as part of their sort of rebrand into what I'll call the extreme right of politics, embracing Nigel Farage in that could be an electoral gambit, a political gambit, a PR gambit to kind of rebrand the Tories as Donald Trump's sort of style right-wing populist party how crazy is that Reem? i'm gonna to come to you oh, you're about to you, make, you make that sound so reasonable yeah well i, I think it's possible <laughs> it's unlikely but it's possible and, and based on what we've seen by the conservative party for the last like few years i mean if you'd told me five years ago that lee anderson yeah would be the deputy chairman of the conservative party 30p lee who by the way remarkably yesterday said he didn't vote 
on the Rwanda bill because he walked into the no chamber and Labour MPs were sniggering at him. So he left because he couldn't vote because they were laughing at him. What kind of a... But this is on GB News. Go and check it out. That That is an adult human politician with the letters MP following his name who didn't vote a certain way because people were laughing at him in the chamber. How crazy is Farage joining the Conservative Party, Reem? I don't think it's that crazy. I don't think it will happen because I don't think the Conservative Party will want him. I also think Nigel Farage, his, his kind of a unique selling point, if you will, his USP, is that he's not, he tries, well, he is part of the establishment, but he pretends not to be. And he pretends to be this kind of anti-establishment figure. So I don't think he will want to join the Conservative Party because he will ruin that USP and it will completely... Uh, but he's wanted a seat he... forever. You don't think a promise of a constituency or a safe Tory seat will do it for him? I don't think I don't think that's what he wants. I don't think he wants to be an elected politician. I think he wants to control yeah. them and he wants to cause a stir. And that's what he has been doing. He's very successful at it. And I, I think that ultimately, you know, he's had his stint in elected politics in the European Union. He was always sort of a one-issue uh, politician. And I think again, this kind of comes back to this idea that we need to make Brexit a success. I think Nigel's primary issue is going to be that. It's going to be about taking back control of our borders through immigration and through restricting immigration and restricting illegal immigration, but yeah. also about still being an anti-establishment figure. And he has criticised the Conservative Party relentlessly because he feels as though that they are part of the establishment, even though Nigel is also yeah. part of the establishment. Right, Reem, going, okay. to, going to your wildcard prediction. I think smoking is going to be banned altogether <laughs> and the reason why i think that is we have the tobacco and vapes bill which i people seem to have forgotten about it very recently uh, but it's 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 attempting to go through parliament where the government have said anybody after 40 anybody born after 2009 will not be legally allowed to buy tobacco products now whatever your view on this i mean i think it's a crazy invasion of liberty uh, but it, whatever your view on that I think in 10 years time, when we're talking about, when we're having this conversation about what will happen in 10 years time, and a 25 year old will be legally allowed to buy tobacco products, but a 24 year old will not be legally allowed to buy tobacco <laughs> products. Everyone's gonna say, well, this is just crazy. We should ban it altogether. Oh, so you're talking about not this bill coming to full fruition where over a period of decades that you essentially ban it, but it will just come in as a sort of, uh, the, the, the bridge will come down and go, this is ridiculous. We'll ban it altogether. Yeah, well, this this bill effectively says that anybody born after 2009 will not ever be legally allowed to buy it. Yeah. So what will happen in, in, in a few years' time, and I think actually the conversations will start this year, people will say, well, hold on a minute. Is this really allowed? And I think also there's an element of uh, discrimination law where are we are we being ageist here by allowing certain ages uh, buy products and certain ages not buy products? And what, people are going to say, well, this is ridiculous, ban it altogether. Yeah, and... Uh... Obviously, for a libertarian like you, this is this is horrendous. Very I won't bad. go into it because then you'll call me an authoritarian lefty. And <laughs> uh, my next question was going to be, what's wrong with getting everyone to stop smoking? But I don't want to be called an authoritarian lefty. So, Arib, we'll go to you quickly. What's your wild card? Your producer didn't tell me I had to be a political one. No, so. it's okay. Go for go for current affairs, social. Just don't tell me about Love Island and we'll be all right. I think Tottenham will win a cup. All right, we've got to mute his microphone because this is absolutely ridiculous. I'm very confident. I'm very optimistic. Tell me why Tottenham will win a cup. I'm okay with football I, chatting. I, I, I don't know. I just have a hope. You have a hope? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I've got to tell you. So it's the same as, hope as, you, as you know, my wife is a Tottenham fan. And so I have come into more contact with Tottenham fans recently than, than I should, really, as a United fan. But I've never seen a Tottenham fan with hope before in my life. So this, this is interesting. Which it's one do you think it is? Which one? Potentially the FA Cup. The FA Cup, which you're yeah. still... Because you're not still in the, the Carabao yeah. Cup. No, we're not. No, so it's just the Premier League, the FA Cup. 
I think that's it. And that's it. So you t- so it's the FA Cup really <laughs> uh, that you're 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 going to really uh, want to win. Uh, well, listen, thank you both so much for joining us. Uh, this, I've had uh, Reem Ibrahim from the Institute of Economic Affairs uh, joining us via Zoom and Arib Ullah, journalist at the Middle East. I thank you for joining me in the studio as we've looked at some of our political predictions. We're going to look back on this at the end of the year or, or whenever the general election hopefully hits us and see where we are um, given these predictions. We've had everything from, I think we all agree that Labour is going to win some sort of majority, whether that's razor thin or whether that's a thumping majority according to Ream, depends on uh, a little bit around uh, reform. I think we generally agree that Trump will beat Biden. Uh, Israel reoccupies Gaza was one. Smoking would be banned was a wild card shout. Uh, My wild card shout was that Nigel Farage would join the Conservative Party. And it wasn't smoking that was the wildest of shouts. It wasn't Nigel Farage that was the wildest of shouts, but it was Tottenham Hotspurs winning a cup that was the wildest of shouts that you heard here on Politics Uncensored. Thank you all for listening to us for our first episode of 2024. You can follow us on FUBAR Radio at Politics Uncensored. I am Ali Milani at A Ali Milani UK. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and I now have TikTok. I'm with the kids, so please go and check those out. You can go back and listen to all of our episodes from 2023 as well on all your podcast platform, whether that's Apple or Spotify or Android. So do go check out our our past episodes. We've had everyone from Jeremy Corbyn to Lord Heseltine and everyone in between on the show over the past 2023. We're looking forward to having you in 2024. I've been Ali Milani. This has been Politics Uncensored on FUBAR Radio.